This is Braddock Basket from Orlando, Florida, and I never listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right. Thank you once again for joining us. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore, episode 226. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore. And sitting across from me, no worse for the wear, despite the fact that it's 90 plus degrees in the greater Los Angeles area, my lovely, sweaty co-host, Brittany Page. Well, well, we have an air conditioner going. <laughs> well, so. not right now in this the very room in which we sit, but it is too hot It's too hot. Brittany Page. It's too hot to live, too yeah. hot for clothes. I'm having a difficult time because... You are clothed, though. I am clothed. (laughs) But, I mean, it's so hot that you just wish that you could, like, wear a bathing suit everywhere. Yeah, it is a miserable bastard out there. Yeah, it's horrible. So, this is... We're late, the show. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, Jesse's I, fault. It, totally my fault. But what it is, listen, doing two shows a week takes a lot. I'm not making excuses. That's just what it is. But it is it is your birthday week leading tomorrow, Tuesday, Yeah, will be the 21st mm-hmm. of June, mm-hmm. the first day of summer, mm-hmm. which marks Brittany's birthday. For some reason, I think the first day of summer is today. Oh, maybe so. Yeah, this year's weird because it's a leap year. Yeah. Right. So... It is it is your birthday tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so we, we went out with dinner with some friends on Saturday night. Uh-huh. And typically, if we ever do something on Sunday, and Sunday was NBA Finals, and then, of course, all the HBO lineup, which we, <laughs> we are nerds about. Oh, dear God. So typically, when we have something going on on Sunday, I do all the prep early on Saturday, get everything ready to go for the show. A lot of sausage being made oh, here. Oh, God. But, but uh, I didn't do that on Saturday because we went out and... Had a, a, a nice dinner with friends and then went out and had a few drinks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm a lazy turd. So we're doing the show Monday early afternoon. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I sounded like a horse, but early afternoon and uh, things are good. But uh, we, we had a good time yes. on Saturday night, which is the reason. Yeah. A good time also because Brittany, once again in her life, has to kind of learn the lessons. Brittany's never been like the bar person and going out and kind of shocking. Uh, I navigating, know navigating <laughs> navigating that weird world uh-huh. of the bar scene where people go to get laid and everything else. Mm-hmm. And I want you to kind of re- recount your story to the audience of the 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 mistake that you made. Yeah, I smiled at a man. You smiled. <laughs> At a man. <laughs> and, you know, normally I smile at people when I walk by them or when I make eye contact with someone. I just smile. Despite her very bitchy persona on the show. Yes. <laughs> well, it's something you that... You are a good, nice person. It's something that bothers me about Southern California, um, especially in the Orange County area, where you're, you're walking around and everyone is just in their own world. And they, if they look at you, it's like a mean mug or like a judgmental look. It's yeah. rarely a smile and a friendly environment. And coming from Idaho. Where everybody is everybody's best friend, yeah. whether they know each other or not. Everyone wants to talk to you. Everyone yeah. is like wanting to help you. You know, it's it's very different. There, so, listen, there's some shitty things about Idaho politically and everything else. But let me say that the people, as hateful as they are toward the gays... <laughs> If they don't know you're gay, they're pretty happy to see you. <laughs> yeah. So we we were at this bar and this guy walked by and we made eye contact. And so I smiled. And then all of a sudden he didn't just look away. He kept staring and smiling too much. Smiling. And I was like, oh, Almost shit. Almost like too much customer service. <laughs> yes. Very much like too much customer service. And I thought, oh, shit, I've done something wrong here. Uh, what do I do? So I just averted my gaze and didn't ever look at him again because he was getting ready to like approach. Yeah. Not a good situation. Which so- is weird that only a smile is the the go sign. You flipped on the fucking green light. 
Yeah. Come and hassle me. Yeah. Well, that happened to me one time at Sharky's as well. And I smiled and they came right up was to me. Was that in Redondo Beach or yes. Hermosa Beach? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was like, oh, no, I was just smiling like nothing is happening. <laughs> Please leave. <laughs> that's a place that you'll get an orifice raped right off your body, though. That was a scary environment. Yeah, that's that is aggressive meat market. Everyone like, was like coked out of their minds yeah. and just ready to go. I mean, it was... <laughs> It was definitely a little shocking. Yeah. So Brittany learned a, a, a very valuable, or not learned, but was re- reminded yeah. of a very valuable lesson. Be mean to everyone. And again, <laughs> it, it goes back to the, the entire conversation we've been having about women's safety. Right. That's not something I got to worry about. Yeah. If I smile at someone, I don't think that, oh, shit, do I, did I just send the wrong signal? Right. <laughs> Normally, the 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 look I get is, oh, that fucking guy's smiling at me. Weird. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. But you have to have a completely set a different paradigm under which to operate. Well, just in bars when people are drunk or you know they're looking for someone to approach. Yeah, uh, I think it's a little. It's a different environment in bars. Well, happy birthday, Brittany. Thank you. <laughs> happy happy birthday. Thank you very much. All right, well, let's get on to the show, a little listener communication. First up, we've got who is becoming <laughs> one of my favorite callers, one of our favorite listeners, Marvin from Long Beach. Good morning, Jesse and Brittany. This is uh, Marvin from Long Beach, California. I am actually in the process of listening to episode 225, which I have to pause so I won't get uh messed up in what I want to say. But um I just I was just finished listening to the part where you played Anderson Cooper uh, and and my hat's off to Anderson Cooper. He dug in her ass. <laughs> my only concern um, and I'm not trying to take the the focus away from what happened in Orlando. I'm putting it I'm putting the focus on the media. And I'm just, it's just curious. I understand too that it's personal probably to, uh, Anderson Cooper because he is gay. And that's why he questioned her the way he did. But why doesn't the media, why don't correspondents and journalists and reporters do the same thing? Calling out Donald Trump and his bullshit. Uh, <laughs> Even Hillary Clinton and her bullshit. <laughs> they have shown that they can, you know, uh, hit, hit Bernie Sanders with some formidable questions, but they've gone weak, really weak on everything else that counts. What about Flint? What about the, uh, uranium mine in, 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 um, Arizona the, on the Navajo land that the EPA jacked up to? All of this stuff. Why isn't the media doing what Anderson Cooper did last night, why isn't the media doing that to all kind of other stuff that are that's relevant and that is important for the people to be, you know, to know? That's it. Uh, love your show, as always. Listen, uh, one, thank you for the call and for for this. He dug in her ass. Uh, but also thank you for the very poignant question. Yes. It is a good question that I believe does need to be answered by the media right now. Why isn't, save very few instances, like for instance, just recently, Jake Tapper sat down with Donald Trump and the 23 times that we talked about, 23 times that he had to re-ask the question right. over and over about this judge, this American judge. Yeah. Born in Indiana, those que- that type of questioning, that aggressive thing, there should be a contentious relationship between the people in power and the media. Well, I, I don't know if we talked about this on the last episode, but I almost wish that when they are interviewing people and let's say Donald Trump and he's avoiding the question and just talking in circles, I wish they would say, 
you know, listen, in any other social interaction, this would be weird. Right. What you're doing. Right. If I was talking to someone at a bar, in a restaurant, on the street, at a bus stop, and they started doing that, I'd be like, whoa, is this person like out of it today? What's going on here? They're not answering my questions. Right. Are they cognitive? Are they cognitively there? Yeah. What's going on here? And I wish they would draw attention to that. Like, I just asked you a specific question and then you're... I don't know what happened to you. What happened to you? Yeah. But Jake Tapper was interviewed on another podcast on the 538 Elections podcast. They had a segment from uh, another podcast on the media. And he was asked this question, you know, why don't you go harder at people? And he basically said that he doesn't want to remove himself from the equation because Donald Trump, he can just stop doing interviews with you. And then you lose access to him. Well, so what that is, though, he's protecting his own per- personal career. He's protecting his ability to get the big interviews. And that is the problem with the media right now. What they all need to do is all collude together right. that we're going to do the right thing. And when when I have to ask him 23 times, it needs to be handled one of two ways, either they end that line of questioning by saying, it's clear, Mr. Trump, that you're not going to answer the question. Right. It's clear that you're evading the question and refusing to answer, so let's move on. Either that or do not divert to another uh, questioning um, area. Just keep hammering on the one question continuing to to show that they're not answering right and anytime you get a convoluted response say okay that's not an answer yeah we're gonna go back and try this again and like you're saying they all need to work together so if donald trump says well you know what he gave me a difficult interview i'm not gonna go back to him and then he tries to go to someone else and they do the same exact thing well he's eventually gonna run out of the free media coverage that has gotten him so far it's the same thing with donald trump um kicking out the Washington Post, not letting them have access to his campaign events. The Washington fucking Post. Right. One of the big three papers in the United States, and he's not letting them have access to his campaign. That is every other media outlet needs to just not fucking show up because otherwise Donald Trump's only reaching 5,000 people at a time at his stupid rallies. Right. If they all band together and say, look, if you cut one of us out, we're all out of here. Mm-hmm. Even at their financial peril, it wouldn't be peril, but it would be it would they would take a hit, mm-hmm. but they would all be together, unified, doing the right thing. Unfortunately, that is not likely to happen. They need to do a lot more of he dug in her ass. A lot more <laughs> of digging right in her ass. All right. Thanks for the call, Marvin. We appreciate you very much. Next up is John. Now, John is taking issue with us relative to last episode where we talked about Obama's refusal and not only refusal, but his his recalcitrant uh, attitude about using the phrase radical Islam to describe these killers and these mass murdering terrorists that we face on a global scale. Hola, Jesse and Brittany type. This is John from Pennsylvania. I would just like to say a thing or two about the whole uh, Orlando tragedy here. That uh, I, I feel that utilizing a label for the young gentleman kind of uh, simplifies the whole situation when by, for all intents, and uh, that uh, he, he was a fairly troubled fella. I mean, uh, he was having some difficulties there reconciling his fates and family and uh, expectations and everything else and his sexuality into one thing. And, uh, yeah, he, well, did something terrible. Uh, but the, the, the language being used, everyone's standing about uh, radical uh, Muslim extremists, uh, no one says radical Christian extremist, radical Jewish extremist, radical Hindu extremist. No, nobody says that when uh, all these faiths basically do something terrible. We, we don't say radical atheist extremist, radical lesbian extremist, 
not that that's not a word that is used, and we we seem very comfortable using it on Muslims because apparently they're the new evil in the world that we need to hate. Um, so it, it's just it's just a thing, guys, really. And I get it. You don't like religion, and that's fine. You cannot like religion, but unfortunately, you're taking on the role of of a radical atheist extremist if we're going to use labels. That's just my two cents on this. Uh, thank you, and have a nice day. Well, first, thank you for the call, because we love when people disagree. Well, it's part of the conversation. Right. Yeah, it's awesome. But now that that's out of the way, <laughs> this is the first time I've ever been called a radical atheist. So this is very interesting. Radical atheist extremist. Right. So I've... I've heard this term before, and I've heard it leveled at people like Sam Harris or Christopher Hitchens or Richard Dawkins, uh, Daniel Dennett, you know, those types. Interesting, because I'm not sure how many people heard our podcast and then went out and, like, murdered people. Right. In the name of atheism. (laughs) Absolutely. In fact, I'm not sure how often atheists are committing terrorist attacks because of their atheism right um, that's fueled by the ideology and the fundamentals of not believing in god right something unique about uh something interesting about when people try to c- compare religion to atheism which atheism is not a religion uh, it's a lack of belief in gods is that you know atheists aren't told you know, if you carry out this terrorist attack, you're going to go to a better place. Yeah. You're going to have this great experience with possibly some virgins. You're doing a favor for your deity. Right. And you will be blessed in return. Yeah. Well, atheists don't have anything after this. They don't believe in that. Right. So I'm kind of confused when people compare the two. Right. There doesn't seem to be a comparison. (laughs) Well, the other thing about us being quote-unquote radical atheist extremists, we're so fucking extreme and we're so radical that we've allowed John access to thousands and thousands of years to hear his dissenting opinion. We're so radical (laughs) that we're gracefully... I don't know, gracefully, but we're certainly allowing him the the opportunity to fucking disagree, which is a beautiful thing. Right, allowing dissent. Where in in Islam, your your is your Muslim countries are they allowing dissent? I'll tell you where. Nowhere. They're they're imprisoning people like Raif Badawi. They are hacking to death bloggers who are not just atheists, but just secular bloggers, people who do not subscribe to a theocracy, to a theocratic system of government and Sharia law. And so another thing that he said was that this guy had all these other things going on. He was trying to reconcile his faith, his family, expectations, his sexuality. Okay. Well, I don't we think... don't even know that all that's true yet. We don't know. Right. I don't know how talking about being radicalized is somehow discounting other difficulties that he may have been experiencing. Well, the word that John used was simplify. Right. No one's simplifying anything. If anything, we're making it more complex, understanding the nuance exactly that's going on here. Right. Simplifying it would be like Scott Baio, who gives a shit about Scott Baio, but he's like trending right now because of what he said about Obama being either a Muslim or a Muslim sympathizer. Okay. Anything to be relevant again. Yeah. So people keep taking issue with this term radical Islamist and Islamism is the belief or idea that you want to push Islam onto other people through force, right? Mm-hmm. And how is using the term radical Islamist not separating radical jihadists from Muslims? How, yeah. how is it not separating it? How is it not a nuanced term, a nuanced argument that's being offered? It absolutely is. Because you're, you're not saying all Muslims. You're saying this particular political and religious ideology which is a segment, a small segment of, of Muslims, of Islam itself, that is what we're talking about. It, it's not 
a monolith. It's not everybody. It's the particular radical segment that we're talking about. Right. And then he also said, why don't we use the term Christian terrorist? A great point. Well, we should. And we do say radical Jewish terrorist or radical Jew. Recently at the Pride Parade in Jerusalem. Oh, right. He stabbed a bunch of people. He stabbed a bunch. He just got let out of fucking prison. Mm -hmm. And this radical. For doing the same thing. And this radical Jew stabbed six people and created mayhem at the gay pride parade. Right. We are saying. Well, and people talk about the Westboro Baptist Church as being Christian extremists. Yes. That's that's a large Christian population that's talked about as being extremist or radical. So there are people that make these distinctions. And they should make them. Absolutely, they should. Well, here's the other thing. And then we'll quit shitting on John's opinion here. We're not we're not doing that. I'm just making a joke. But he, is is the fact that the reason we don't say radical lesbian extremist oh, yeah. or radical <laughs> atheist extremist is because there's no fucking body count associated with atheist extremist, quote unquote, or lesbian extremists. If you can find a body count associated and don't point to Stalin or some atheist who did it just because he was a monster, but someone who did it specifically because of the tenets of their ideology and were driven to do so based on their lesbianism or their atheism. I got to cool off. Yeah. <laughs> well, and typically when you, when you ask people that they say Hitler, but also you have to remember that, that the Hitler was a Catholic. The German military under Hitler had got mints uns on their on their uh, uniforms on their belt buckles, hmm. and that means God is with us or something. Right. So there was a lot of mysticism and weird religious bullshit that was going into that entire Aryan ideology, and it still runs through it today it still in persists. modern Aryan um, white supremacist groups. Right. Yeah. Anyway, um, listen. Awesome conversation. It is important. I wish we had. I wish we had John here to actually have the talk. Right. It is important because I think a lot of people feel the way he does. Sure. Mm -hmm. But know that. Listen, we're not painting with this broad Muslim brush at all. The reason the label is important is because the label indicates precisely of whom we speak. It's not all Muslims. It's just the little portion who are creating havoc. And are responsible for thousands and thousands of deaths of innocent men, women, and children. Thank you for the call, John. We really, listen, as radical as we may be, (laughs) we definitely appreciate the communication, the dissenting opinion, and helping us move the conversation forward. If you too would like to sound off, have a conversation. 657-464-7609, just like John did. Or you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We appreciate it very much. Listen, if you'd like to support the show other than calling in, than listening, go to dollamore.com. On the right, on the left, goddamn, it's like I've never been there before. On the left-hand side of the page, there's a link that says support the show. There, there are several ways that you can help us by doing something more than listen. And that is by going to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. And you can give any amount you choose. You can set a monthly maximum. You can give 25 cents per episode, 50 cents per episode, a dollar per episode. Go crazy. Set any amount you want. 73 cents, whatever. Right, And it's safe. It is very safe. Yes, it's safe. They handle the transaction. We don't see your information. They do all the hard work that we don't have to worry about. And then you can also uh, donate through PayPal. And through there, you can also set the amount that you want to give monthly. And that goes directly to us. And we very much appreciate whatever funds you send our way. And they are used very appropriately. That's right. If you would like to help us continue our radicalism... We appreciate it. Oh God! Very, very much. All right, let's let's move on. Let's let's continue this talking a little bit about this radical Christian, this radical Muslim thing. Uh, the last two episodes, we have talked about specific pastors 
and in the effort to make the audience aware that it's not just these one-off Steven Andersons. It's not these one-off um, Roger Jimenez types. Right. There's another guy who we talked about on the show many times, Kevin Swanson, the, the original. And don't forget, this is the guy that had three presidential candidates attend his convention where he called for death to homosexuals. I think it was Mike Huckabee, uh, Ted Cruz, and I think Rick Perry was still in the race then. Yeah, I don't remember who the third one was. But he he called he said they are worthy of death, homosexuals, on stage moments before introducing them. Well, here is Kevin Swanson with his take on the Orlando shooting. The Muslims have something of a love-hate relationship with homosexuality from the beginning, but almost all pagan societies have had a love-hate relationship with homosexuality, friends. When it comes to it, uh, human beings try to build up these gigantic dams to keep sin from completely destroying their nations, but these dams burst again and again and again. That's because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And Romans seven eleven speaks of, of sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment, put me to death for sin. Uh, had that tremendous influence over me. Now, again, why do homosexuals murder homosexuals? And that's the question I think a lot of people are facing right now after these Orlando shootings. And Romans 1, again, I think is the answer to this question. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving themselves the penalty of the error which is due, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. There it is, a debased mind to do those things not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, and strife. So friends, there it is, the sin of murder in Romans chapter 1, verse 29, connected with the sin of homosexuality. Sin breeds sin, which breeds more sin, which breeds more sin. That's the nature of man without uh, the salvation of Jesus Christ. And this this violence, this murder, seems to attend the sin of homosexuality. In 2013, the CDC uh, released the results of a 2010 study on victimization by sexual orientation and found uh, for gay men, 40% of homosexual men had been abused by violent partners. 40% of homosexual men had been abused by, homo by their violent partners compared to 21% for straight men, meaning that uh, twice as, as prevalent amongst homosexual men than amongst uh, straight men. So, so there's uh, a report from the CDC that indicates uh, that homosexuality tends to attract more violence uh, than heterosexuality as well. Well, what's the bottom line as we view what's happening or in Orlando today? I think it is, again, the Romans 1 scenario in which God gives them up. Remember, it's God in his common grace and his common mercy that prevents society from breaking out to total chaos, to total anarchy into the sort of bloodbaths that we see in places like Orlando. Ultimately, it's only God can, can prevent uh, the human heart from bust, bursting forth and, and engaging in such horrible, horrible effects upon uh, human society. And Orlando is a picture in which God's common grace, uh, his restraints have been lifted entirely. And when God doesn't restrain, people go nuts in their sins. It's fascinating to hear... <laughs> It's something to hear it. <laughs> it. Well, it's fascinating to hear what people like Kevin Swanson, the type of research that they care about right. or that they try to espouse. Um, not saying that, that what he said is true. I have no idea if what he said is true. Right. But he suddenly cares about like looking up statistics about things right, and right. researching research, things. Research and data are now a, a focal point. Of his message. Right. Only when he's able to support his argument. But does he care about all the research that counters basically everything that he believes? Right. No, of course not. Right. So this is just another indication. First of all, I, I would like anybody out there who is a Christian to recognize that he he read exclusively from the New Testament. That's Romans. That's not the Old Testament. That's not the old law. That's not the old covenant between God and man. That's the new stuff. That's the love stuff. That's the grace stuff. Well, he's not the only one who has a problematic relationship with the facts or with logic and with reason. There's a pastor out there named 
named Phil Vanderplug. I'm probably pulling a Britney Page and not saying his last name correctly. P-L-O-E-G, Vanderplug. Better you than me. And he has a troubling relationship with, one, geography and just sheer numbers and (laughs) understanding. The reality of God's existence is obvious, simple, and natural. But the pride and the selfishness inside of the human heart suppresses that obvious truth. Why? Because we want to be God. We don't want God telling us how to live our lives. We want to live our lives our way. As a college and young adult minister, I get asked questions like this all the time. One of the questions people ask me is they say, okay, you know, if that's obvious, why doesn't God just make himself more obvious? Like, why doesn't God just walk into the room one day and say, hello, I'm God, I'm real, and then leave? Then we would all believe in him. Why doesn't God do that? Why doesn't God reveal himself more than he does? It's a good question, right? But there are some simple answers to it. Number one, God has revealed himself far more than some people want to acknowledge. It is obvious. It's obvious. It's obvious. The only atheists in the world live in America and Europe, right? Everyone else knows there's a God, but we've developed a worldview in the West that justifies our actions. That's why we don't believe in God. Brittany, the only atheists in the world live in America and Europe. That's it. There's there's no atheists in China, <laughs> Japan, or, or Vietnam, which is in the 90s. And then Australia. Right. It's its own continent. Yeah. So clearly, logic, reason, data, numbers, facts, they get in the way. I know this is kind of a hard shake, a hard segue here. It doesn't really jive because we, we've shifted from talking about Orlando But really, it's more about how facts do not matter. The fact that atheists exist outside of places of America and Europe. Well, listen, if that's the case, then what's going on in in Saudi Arabia where they're being jailed? What's going on in Bangladesh where they're being hacked to death by machetes and hatchets? Well, maybe that's what he means. Well, there's none left there because they've been killed due to their lack of belief in supernatural beings, in deities. Mm -hmm. What was the point he was trying to make with saying that, that there's only atheists in America and Europe? Well, he goes on to explain how obvious it is. It's obvious that God exists. It's obvious that God has revealed himself to the world, to humankind. And so it's just... America and Europe that that haven't we've let our hearts become hard and prideful is what he says well let's go on but everyone else is good to go let's listen to his reasoning for why it's so obvious but here's three good reasons why God doesn't reveal himself by walking through the door in the back of the church and saying hello number one he doesn't do that for our protection (laughs) he doesn't do that for our protection In Exodus 33, Moses gets a glimpse of the backside of God because God's glory and his presence is so great that God tells Moses, no man can look at me and live. No man can look at me and live. Well, great. Ladies and gentlemen, if God walked in the room today, we would die. Just by being in his presence. Secondly... For our freedom. You know, it's important to God relationship. Walking into the room that way, guys, God doesn't want to coerce you into believing in him. By giving evidence. He doesn't want to coerce you into following him. He doesn't want to coerce you into loving him. He wants you to come to him by faith. By lack of evidence. God could not walk in this room in all of his glory without us dying and aside from that if if he did we would all say we would all just you know we would follow him because we had to you wouldn't have, have to have nothing to do with our our 
hearts, really. Mm. And lastly, for our sanctification. Sanctification is just a $5 word for growing in your faith to become more like Jesus. And here's the thing, guys. By God revealing himself to us by faith, this amazing thing happens. We don't, we don't get all the truth at one time. We get pieces of God and pieces of God. And as that happens, we surrender more of our hearts and more of our hearts. And he reveals more and we surrender more and he reveals more and we surrender more and we become more and more like him and closer and closer to him over time. And that's what God wants. He doesn't want to coerce people into a relationship with him. Do you know that God's number one goal for you isn't for you to get it together? It's not, Brittany. It's not. You know, I just kind of, (laughs) I, I went into this period of reflection where I was thinking about being at church when I was younger and how I really used to... I I loved going to church. I was never fully into it, though, because I was the only one in my family who decided not to get baptized because I was just kind of I wasn't in. I mostly liked being there for the people because I thought that, you know, I came from this really tumultuous household and I thought these are good people and being around them will be beneficial for me Mm -hmm. and they'll teach me how to be good and these things. You know, I grew up and realized that's not quite right. They were all having affairs and doing what people do. Well, not all of them, but yeah, yeah, they're flawed just like anybody else. Right. And I used to be really moved by sermons. And I think I might have been moved by what he was saying then. And I think a lot of people say, well, what happened to you to make you lose your belief? What, What happened? I had a YouTube comment today where a guy was asking that. What happened to you or what's happening right now in your life that you're like this? And I was reflecting on that and I really, I didn't choose to have it no longer affect me. Yeah. It just kind of happened where I had this realization like, this no. This is real. Yeah, you aren't saying things that make sense anymore. And right. What are you even talking about? And this isn't fitting with what I view as real reality. And... While he was talking, I was having that moment of, what does any of this even mean? I mean, honestly, what what is what is what he is saying? What does it mean? Yeah. I don't know. Well, it's also, what's it based on? What what evidence does he have that if God walks through the door, that you're going to fucking die? Well, it just seems like the easiest and the hardest job, depending on whether or not you're a good person. Because I wonder if he really believes what he's saying. It's hard to say. It depends on what his checkbook looks like, I think. (laughs) Right. Well, the problem with this is that these pernicious and bizarre lack of logic and lack of critical thinking beliefs, they permeate down or up, whichever way you look at it, into our citizen government. Senator David Perdue recently was given a speech, and before he started talking, he compelled the audience to pray for President Obama, and the scripture from which he read or he was quoting says some problematic things if you continue reading after the little part that he quoted. Thank you for being here. You know, I think we are called to pray. I think we're called to pray for our country, for our leaders, and yes, even our president. You know, in his role as president, I think we should pray for Barack Obama, but I think we need to be very specific about how we pray. We should pray like Psalms 109.8 says. It says, let his days be few. And let another have his office. In all seriousness, I believe that America is at a moment of crisis. Let's continue reading there, Brittany Page, as they laugh. As they laugh about what is, if if God does, does exist, Wouldn't communicating with the creator of the universe be the most important thing? The most sacred thing you could do? Why would you want to make jokes about let his days be few and let another take his office? We already know his days are few. We know what day he gets out of the presidency. So is he talking about his life then? It must be. Because it, the scripture follows, let his days be few and let, it, let, let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. This is a United States senator from Georgia admonishing the people in front of him to pray for the death of Barack Obama. 
Let his children be continually vagabonds and beg. Let them seek their bread also out of the desolate places. Let the extortioner catch all that he hath and let the stranger spoil his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy unto him, neither let there be any to favor his fatherless children. Let his posterity be cut off, and in the generation following, let their name be blotted out. Are you interested in starting a church? This is, this is deplorable that a sitting United States senator would call for this prayer to be made of the president of the United States, a duly elected, legally elected man. You know, I was having a conversation the other day with an old friend, and he, he, he brought to my attention something that I've never really thought about before. And in Christian circles, there, there is a, there's a, 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 a turn of phrase where they talk about receiving something. You pray for it, and you, you got to know that it's going to happen. So you receive that victory. You receive that blessing. Mm-hmm. You pray as though it's going to happen. It's kind of like the secret. Mm-hmm. The book, you know, you, you you have your little your vision board and you put your Ferrari on there and you're going to get it because you thought about it. Joel Austin type stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So these Christians like Senator Pryor from Georgia and Christians like him, when they want to pray and they really earnestly, if they really want to pray for the man that he that he does things righteously and in their way. Well, wouldn't they want to receive that victory? Wouldn't they pray for it and then accept that it's going to take place rather than praying that he die and rather than praying that his children become vagabonds, unable to make a life for themselves, unable having to beg for their bread. It is disgusting. And this is the problem with the perniciousness of the monotheistic religions, which are all based on the Abrahamic tradition, which are all based on the Old Testament, including Islam. So when I bitch about Islam, I'm not just bitching about Islam. I'm bitching about the Jews, the Christians, and the Muslims because their beliefs are hurtful. They are harmful moving in to modernity. All right, let me stretch out my my back here. When you when you start to go there, I just kind of take a step back and let you go crazy. I thought you left. I thought you went out and got something to eat. Yeah, I, well, I was taking like a micro nap. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into the rest of the show. Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. All right, well, the big news today, kind of glad we waited a day because this all broke this morning. Trump campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, the assaulter of women, reporters, the maniac on the campaign trail that so many people say is a problem. Very aggressive. Has been fired. Big shakeup for the Donald Trump campaign just weeks before the Republican convention is set to begin. Trump's campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, is out. CNN's Jason Carroll outside of Trump Tower to tell us more. Hi, Jason. Good morning to you, Carol. And this statement coming in from uh, Trump's spokeswoman, Hope Hicks, coming in just a short while ago about Corey Lewandowski. Let me read part of it to you. It says the Donald J. Trump campaign for president, which has set a historic record in the Republican primary, having received almost 14 million votes, has today announced that Corey Lewandowski will no longer be working with the campaign. She goes on to say that the campaign is grateful to Corey for his hard work and his dedication, and we wish him the best in the future. This coming on the heels of lots of chatter that's been going on about Lewandowski and his ability to get along with other people in the campaign, the ability to move the message beyond the primary into the general election. This is a result of that. We can also tell you that today we were told that uh, members of Trump's inner circle and his team will be meeting with some of Trump's family members as well to discuss the campaign, to discuss the message going forward. There has been much talk about Corey Lewandowski, his temperament, uh, his ability to get along with folks like Paul Manafort, the campaign chairman. 
Uh, there's been talk about the inability for the campaign really to get on message. It's affected not just members of the GOP establishment, it's affected donors as well. Many donors holding back in terms of wanting, wanting to submit money to the campaign because they're nervous not only about Trump's rhetoric, but about the infrastructure of the campaign. So this coming this late, this stage of the game is definitely a, a major move for the Trump campaign. Once again, Corey Lewandowski, campaign manager, now out of a job. So in addition to that, the reasons are starting to trickle out. Yeah. <laughs> and they're saying that Trump's kids really motivated this, uh, yes. particularly Ivanka. And it's being reported that she essentially said, listen, it's either me or Corey. Involved with the campaign. Yes. Yeah. Uh, her husband, in fact, I was hearing today that Ivanka's husband, Jared, I think his name is. I'm probably wrong. but That sounds um, right. He started taking a lot larger role in the campaign relative to their social media and other other aspects. And he and Corey Lewandowski did not get along. And there was a lot of people who just think he's too radical with the assaulting of women on the campaign trail, allegedly, and all the other things that have gone on. But I think what really did it at the end there was the in the immediate aftermath of the Orlando shooting... Trump's response was more self-congratulatory than somber. And it I think it, it took its toll. And I think uh, there was so much backlash coming off of a bad week even prior to that that they decided to cut him loose. Well, he sat down with Dana Bash from CNN and was asked directly about why he was fired. And he didn't really have an answer. First, from your perspective... What happened? Why were you fired? I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know the answer to that. But what I know is what we've been able to achieve in this election cycle has been historic. You know, we had a candidate who, in June of last year, announced he was going to run for president with no elective office experience, in a field of 16 other people in the race plus him, uh, who's gone on to do something historic, which was get almost 14 million votes, and fundamentally change the way people look at politics. And I'm proud to have been a small part of that. And. You know, running as the outsider of this campaign, which he has done, running against the corrupt Washington, D.C. establishment and political correctness has been something I've been proud to be a part of. Things change as the campaign evolves. And a general election campaign against a very well-funded uh, giant organization like the Clinton campaign is, is very different than running against uh, those smaller primary state elections, uh, even when it was a big day. So you think it was appropriate for... Donald Trump to make the change and let you go? What I think is that you've, the voters have a binary decision coming up on election day. They can either vote for Hillary Clinton and her liberal policies, or they can put someone in place who's actually going to change Washington. And I will do everything I can to make sure that the latter of those two happens, which means Donald Trump is elected president. If I can do that from inside the campaign, it's a privilege. If I can do that from outside the campaign, that's also a privilege. So this was another instance of... <laughs> Someone, I knew you were going to jump on this. Someone who refuses to answer the question. Right. And Dana Bash actually did a, a pretty good job at pushing him and trying to get him to answer the question. Mid-sentence, she would say, okay, you're not answering my question. Right. Oh, okay, so you're not going to answer my question. You know, being somewhat aggressive about it. But he still didn't answer her questions. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Well, he's. it really goes to show that Donald Trump was trained by this guy on how to do this. Yeah. Because it was. it was, you know... If you put a different voice on this, if you had a, an impersonator of Donald Trump read the Corey Lewandowski uh, script, it would have been the same thing. Yes. And just as I said, I, I do believe that in the response to the Orlando thing, that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back here in letting go of Corey Lewandowski. Here's a piece from David Muir talking about the Orlando shooting, the Donald Trump response. And there's a part of it where they kind of juxtapose it against how Hillary Clinton responded. Next tonight here on the broadcast, the mass shooting, of course, sparking quick reaction from the presidential candidates. The candidates themselves choosing their words carefully, both in written statements and on Twitter. But as you can imagine, there is already outrage and reaction to their reaction tonight. How did Donald Trump respond? How did Hillary Clinton respond? Here's ABC's Tom Yavis. In the wake of the worst mass shooting in American history, 
Donald Trump tweeting he is praying for all the victims and their families. But then this. Appreciate the congrats for being right on radical Islamic terrorism. I don't want congrats. I want toughness and vigilance. We must be smart. That tweet setting off a firestorm. Meghan McCain telling Trump, You're congratulating yourself because 50 people are dead this morning in a horrific tragedy? Singer John Legend posting, Trump is truly an awful person. But Trump wasn't done. Later, in a statement, quote, If Hillary Clinton, after this attack, still cannot say the two words radical Islam, she should get out of this race for the presidency. It's a charge he's made before. Refuses to even say the words radical Islam. Refuses to say the words. This alone makes her unfit to be president. But Trump's words today, a sharp contrast with Clinton's, who sent out condolences in English and Spanish, saying, we need to redouble our efforts to defend our country from the threats at home and abroad, and adding, we need to keep guns like the ones used last night out of the hands of terrorists or other violent criminals. And Clinton was supposed to campaign with President Obama on Wednesday. That has been postponed, and Trump has changed the focus of his speech tomorrow from Bill and Hillary Clinton to ISIS and the terror threat. David? So in the aftermath, the direct aftermath, Donald Trump pats himself on the fucking back. Ah, I appreciate the congrats on being right about stuff, but we need toughness right now. And Hillary Clinton, who clearly... If you've listened to the show at all, you know I'm not a fan of Hillary Clinton. She does what a a gracious person, or at least a thoughtful politician, does, where she tweets out condolences and kind words in both English and Spanish. This is a problem. And I think this is where the Lewandowski era of the Trump campaign really came to an end. Well, and I love Donald Trump talking about who is qualified to be president. (laughs) Please. Yeah. All right. Well, in our continuing effort to (laughs) enlighten the American electorate about Donald Trump, we're going to play a story here (laughs) that really doesn't have anything to do with the campaign. So there's no segue here. It's just a funny story. Uh, Charlie Sheen was on, I I believe the guy's name is Graham Norton, uh, a British chat show, like an evening chat show, like like Colbert, that's what they call it over there. Yes. And uh, he recounts a very funny story about an interaction with Donald Trump, specifically about a very valuable gift that Donald Trump gave him in lieu of going to his wedding. Now, I have to say... Slightly surprised that Piers Morgan's doing it, because he, I don't know if you know, he's a big Donald Trump supporter. And I know you're not a fan. I'm really not. I'm really not. No, I am, I am reminded of a time um, about five years ago. I was at a dinner with my ex-wife, Brooke, and her family, and this and that. And about halfway through, I, 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 I noticed um, Donald um, staring at my watch. And so he started saying, you know, listen, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I wasn't invited to your wedding, this and that. Or I'm sorry I can't make your wedding. And I'm like, I didn't invite you. Um, <laughs> so, so he says, but, you know, I want to give you a, uh, an early wedding gift uh, as a gesture from me and Melania. And she doesn't say a word. She's very sweet and very pretty, but just kind of sits there, you know. Yeah. Uh, anywho, so, uh, so he says, uh, these, are, uh, these are Platinum Diamond Harry Winston. Uh, and he pulls off his cufflinks and he gives them to me. And so I'm like, oh, gosh, uh, Mr. Trump, you, you really shouldn't do this. He goes, no, no, it's, it's the least I can do and, you know, have a great marriage and all that. Little did he know. Um, so, so, so smash cut to about six months later, I had a, uh, some jewelry getting appraised at the house, you know. And, and, and she finished and was leaving. And, and I said, oh, yeah, you know, there's, there, there, there's another uh, couple of pieces that I have that I'm, that I'm very curious about. Could, would you mind appraising these? She said, no, uh, what are they? I said, well, you know, I explained the dinner and this and that. These were from Donald Trump, Harry Winston, you know, flawless D's, platinum. She, she took the loop, uh, spent about four seconds and, and kind of recoiled from it, uh, much like people do from Trump. And, um, <laughs> and so, so she says, uh, in, in, in their finest moment, this is cheap pewter and, and, and bad zirconias. <laughs> and they're stamped Trump. And I just thought, I just thought, what does this really say about the man, you know, um, that he said, here's like a great wedding gift. And it's just, 
It's just a bag of dog shit, you know. <laughs> now, is it is it is that, is that the laughter I can hear coming from across the pond at our country about this charlatan? It's quite. I, listen, there's it's scary times all over the place. It really but, is. Uh, but it really you're having is. very scary really times. Is. Yeah. But I but I have faith that 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 good and decent people will make the right choice, and the circus will leave town before it uh, contaminates the Oval Office. Yeah. So take that story on its face. It is from Charlie Sheen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But funny nonetheless. It fits with the picture I have in my head of who Donald Trump is. Yeah, it seems to line up for me too. Yeah. Which I think about that. You think you have this extraordinarily expensive wedding gift. Yeah. And then it's costume jewelry. Goddamn. Yeah. Fucking crazy. Which really does. It, it, the weak metaphor that Charlie Sheen made there at the end, uh, pretty true. Right. I've always wondered that about rich people because technically, if everyone thinks you're rich and then you just wear like cheap. Right. Uh, when you put a little coin in and you get the plastic tub and it gives you a little piece of jewelry, <laughs> right. you could just be wearing that and people would think it's real because yeah. you're rich. Right. So. Well, it also goes to why he's not releasing or it could go to why he's not releasing his tax returns. Right. Because his wealth is nowhere near some estimate what he says it is. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, tomorrow on Tuesday, CNN is hosting a town hall debate. I'm sorry, a town hall uh, meeting. Town hall something or other. Where they have a Q&A with the audience and uh, someone from CNN interviews the person. That's right. And it's not with Donald Trump. And it's not with Hillary Clinton. It is with Gary Johnson, who has just been named the Libertarian candidate, Big L Libertarian candidate for the presidency. Right now, they're saying that nationally, he's polling at 10, 12, 13 percent. And once he gets some notoriety, I think that number is going to rise. He sat down with a CNN guy and they they talked a little bit. I want to kind of familiarize you because his name is going to be more talked about his candidacy is going to be more well known going forward and here is just a little about former governor of new mexico and his running mate former governor of massachusetts gary johnson bill weld joining us now former new mexico governor libertarian nominee for president gary johnson mr johnson good morning to you Victor, great to be with you this morning. So uh, Romney is still on the fence, but considering voting for you, I wonder what is the, the strategy to win not just his vote, the votes of those allies with him in Park City, but those never Trump voters? What's the strategy? Put some meat on the bone for us. Well, I, I think that Mitt Romney hit it on the head. He said, hey, I'm going to check out Gary Johnson and what he's got to say. I think that... Uh, that kind of scrutiny holds up under the light of day. And uh, myself and um, Bill Weld, we would not be doing this if there weren't the opportunity to actually win the presidency. But to do that, we've got to be in the presidential debates. And hey, you pointed out a poll yesterday at, at or a couple of days ago at 12 percent. Well, uh, I do think that the number, the polling numbers are going up because there is that kind of scrutiny happening right now. And two former Republican governors serving in heavily Democrat states. So what's the formula there? Well, fiscally conservative over the top and socially, look, um, we're tolerant. We care. Uh, People should be able to make their own choices in their own lives. So what you've described now is a passive strategy to earning their vote. You're waiting for them to find you. You're waiting for them to scrutinize others. You're waiting for the polls to put you in. What will you proactively be doing? And do you have the resources to compete? What will you be doing to go out and get those votes? Well, uh, resources are a big key. So I think the next reporting period is actually at the end of this month. We have to show that uh, we are serious, that we are raising some money. And uh, just continue to, to plug away uh, among independents, uh, actually leading uh, Hillary Clinton. All these. So, so I wouldn't call what we're doing at all passive. You know, we're very aggressively trying to get out and uh, get attention that, for the most part, attention is sucked out of the room by um, Clinton and uh, Trump. In the discussion of fundraising, when I interviewed you and uh, Governor, former Governor Weld, 
uh, just a, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we noted that you had at the last filing period about $15,000 on hand. I mean, frankly, that's not enough to buy a good used car. But Governor Weld said that you need 20 to $30 million to really get into the conversation and for people to take you seriously. How's that progress? Are you raising the big dollar um, donations that you would need to get to this 20 to $30 million threshold that Governor Weld set? Well, Victor, it is a process. So first, you've got to engage in dialogue, and that dialogue is actually occurring, and uh, there has to be interest. That interest is there. It has that uh, 20 to $30 million transpired, meaning have checks been written? Uh, not to this point, but it is a process, and uh, it looks pretty bright. And uh, to address your earlier number about uh, having 15 grand in the bank or whatever, it's pretty darn remarkable to be at this level in the polls uh, for the amount of money that we have spent. So we're taking advantage of social media, of course, earned media. And um, I think it speaks volumes to uh, what we might do in office, uh, yeah. that being uh, really fiscally conservative, uh, that being, um, you know, very, very uh, frugal with right. money spent. So that's Gary Johnson, a little bit about Gary Johnson, and he will be on CNN tomorrow, Tuesday, the 21st, Brittany Page's birthday. Yes. <laughs> I think it's awesome that CNN is giving him a platform. So do I. I think it's surprising and awesome at the well, same time. Well, he's going to need to be at 15% in the general election come debate time to be on the stage. Now, him being on the stage is going to be kind of a, a double-edged sword because it's going to take the focus off of Donald Trump and allow him to kind of obfuscate like he did during the, the, the primaries. Right. But also it's going to, it could be a way for Donald Trump to largely fail in his bid for the presidency because it could strip away a lot of conservative votes that Donald Trump would normally get. Because when left with a choice, there are a lot of conservatives, unlike me, who will not vote for Hillary Clinton. In the absence of any other viable choice, they'll vote for Donald Trump. And Gary Johnson is a guy who will be able to extract a lot of support come the general election time, especially if we're seeing poll numbers like we are now. Mm -hmm. If he's at 12% now, goddamn, come, come debate time, you know, if he's at 15, he could easily get to 20, 25%. And... Uh, Good things will come from not having Donald Trump <laughs> as president of the United States. All right. Let's wrap the show. Taking care of biz. Americans. Americans are taking care of biz? Americans are taking care of biz. And I know it doesn't seem like it because if you watch the news... It's a bummer a lot of the time. It seems like a lot of <laughs> negative things, yes. right? But sometimes good things just don't make the headlines. Well, what is this this elusive headline that many people have missed? Well, Americans gave a record $373.25 billion to charity last year. Wow. That's yes. How much? $373 billion. Wow. That's awesome. And this outpaced the record set the previous year and marked a 4.1% increase from 2014. And this is out of just Americans' pockets. Private citizens donating money in charitable fashion. That's, that's a good thing. Yes. This includes individuals, estates, foundations, and corporations. But out of all four sources giving to charities, individuals gave the most. Yeah. Well, that's... It is oftentimes the United States is maligned because of the percentage that we give uh, relative to our GDP. And I don't know that that's a good metric, but it is good to know that that number is in on the uptick. It is moving up. That is a record amount that we're giving. Uh, I don't know if that's because of the, the state of the world or whatever, but it's certainly good news. I often say that it doesn't really matter the reason if the outcome is a beautiful thing. Well, this report credits the increase to a recovering economic environment and stabilizing household finances. Sure. And they so say the economy is getting better. People have more money and they they're free, more free uh, giving of it. Right. And they say that, of course, the large dollar amounts 
make a huge difference. But so do the $20, $10, and $1 gifts that just add up and make a cumulative difference. Well, I think also with technology, I don't know what the article says about this, but I, I think a lot of times with technology, when it's e- when they make it easy to give, oh, text, you know, text whatever to this number, and you'll automatically give $10, and it'll just be billed to your cell phone bill. That is, that's a beautiful thing because it's making it easier for people to give of their treasure, of their of their hard-earned money. And educational causes also jumped up to $57 billion, up 8.9% from mm. 2014. Well, that's good news. Yeah. All right. Taking care of biz America. Good job, guys. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to end it there. We appreciate you. We love you very much. Thank you for spending the time with us twice a week or as often as you do. If you'd like to support the show other than listening twice a week, dollamore.com, left-hand side of the page, support the show. If you'd like to communicate with the show, 657-464-7609, voice memo, smartphone, I doubt it, at dollamore.com. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. Despite her very bitchy persona on the show... Yes. (laughs) 